0: here episode number five getting it uh all wrapped up here we're gonna start with lizzie borden this is our halloween episode And are have some fun with this one we are there's a lot of information out there well there's a lot of information out there
1: but the first four episodes really first two that became four that we didn't anticipate were gonna
0: become four they were really heavy and really dark yeah i mean i after looking at the pictures of the crime scenes, I feel like this episode is really dark, too, or has the uh, possibilities of being dark because two people died.
1: Well, horrifically. You, well for sure. I, there's a, This definitely has some dark tendencies, too. It, but it's almost 130 years old. We can be a little more lighthearted with it.
0: Well, we can because certainly it's got some distance between us and the crime. A couple
1: quick little disclaimers. This is obviously the old case. It's about 130 years old at this point. But everything that we're talking about and all of the notes we share, essentially it's opinion, it's meant for entertainment, this is not meant as true fact or we're trying to uncover or reopen anything. So if you have young ones listening, this might not be the time to finish this podcast because we are going to get into a few heavy, maybe some gruesome details.
0: This is one of those great cases that I remember in Girl Scouts we used to try to scare each other with. We would talk about, um, you know, of course, this idea that somebody could come in that you know who's unassuming and, you know, kill our parents with a hatchet and... (laughs) I don't know. You know what you do with Girl Scout camp? You try to scare the bejesus out of everybody, and then you pour whipped cream all over over each other's heads, and then whipped cream all over each other's face in the middle of the night. What kind of Girl Scouts were you? Shaving eyebrows off? I uh, was in Girl
1: Scouts. I was in brownies for like. Two years. I was not a Girl
0: Scout girl. I like Girl Scouts, but Girl Scouts in Florida was a little hot. Like when you went camping, it was just one big sweat fest, and you put gum in people's hair. We weren't nice to each other. Oh, that sounds was,
1: awful. Yeah, that was me. I really didn't miss Girl Scouts, and I doesn't sound like I missed out at all.
0: I actually had fun in Girl Scouts. I had a really good troop leader, and I I thought it was really you know a good good time in my life. Even though, like I said, it was sweaty with mosquitoes. But hey. My girl scout friends out there. I'm still friends with, so we stay in contact.
1: Well, good for you. I know uh, we're doing that. Let's see who can I shout out to from first and second grade St. Anthony's Brownies.
0: Oh boy!
1: My mom was a brownie troop leader for one year, and then had enough of it. And
0: I don't blame her. I have a couple of people I could shout out to my girl scout my girl scout friends. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? I got a vet in Sue, who I'm still friends with to this day. And um, she was part of my Girl Scout uh, troop. And she definitely was on, in part of the campground. And then I've got another girlfriend, Wendy Minyard, who was now Wendy Taylor, who um, is occasionally in my Fitbit challenges. Nice. All right. Yeah. Uh, and well, this would have been when I would have been about 11 or 12. Okay. All right. So if we're doing
1: shout outs, I got to admit, I don't really remember much of these people, but they're names that I remember. So, uh, shout out to uh, Maggie Davis, Amy Simmer, and Kelsey Lawler, if you're listening in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or wherever the world may have taken you. Twenty six years later, or however
0: long it's been since we were in brownies together, these were your brownie homies. These are my Girl Scout homies. <laughs> they were.
1: I uh, I went to daycare at Maggie's mom's house, Jackie. Oh for I don't know three four years.
0: Did you have like those Girl Scout patches where you earned things because you did something oh, yeah, sewing I think patches? I got like, a couple
1: of them because I wasn't very good at Girl Scout stuff.
0: Oh, um, I'm surprised. You seem like you'd be really good with it. You're such a go-getter. Okay, yeah, but I was
1: a go-getter at like, hey, let's go out and play football, not
0: to let's go bake cookies. You probably wanted to play like touch football too, where you like obliterated people on touch, the field. Tackle. Well, ex- well, that's that's the nice way to say tackle. Yeah.
1: No, there's no, there's no touch. There's no flag. It's tackle. Well, and I always. <laughs> I always wanted to play Tackle 2 because if you obviously know, and anyone ever sees me in person, you'll know I'm not fast. I can't really run. So it's pretty easy to tag me, but it's a little more difficult to get me on the ground because I can be a little squirrely. Yeah, I was and, gonna say uh, that. I, I can push people around, so Tagging's easy, but getting me to the ground is a little more difficult. That's why I always wanted to play tackle.
0: I love playing tackle football when I was young. We had a little, you know, neighborhood crew, and, you know, there weren't many girls in that crew. So, as one of the girls who kept trying to keep up with the guys, I played tackle football with them as long as I could. But, man, there was one day where I got nailed right in the chest. And um, I was just going, you know, starting puberty and holy moly, it hurt so bad. That was the end of my tackle football career. I stood there and cried and I couldn't even explain why all my guy friends are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ah, you know, I mean, I couldn't even speak. It was so painful and it was over. You can tell them what was wrong. Well, I I couldn't speak, but I also couldn't tell them what was wrong because they wouldn't understand that I was, you know, becoming a a woman, per se.
1: I remember, I think I was in fourth grade. I don't remember the kid's name, but it was was gym class. I think it was flag football we were playing. And do, do you ever play the game 500? I don't know. Okay. It's a football game where essentially you would run out with like... You would stand in a pool of people, there'd be one quarterback, and they would decide from zero to 500 that if you caught the pass, how many points you got, and you had to get to 500 or more. So I played that all the time, and I was playing flag football, so I was totally used to this. I went out for a pass, went into the end zone, and there was a kid that, in my mind, was like a good foot taller than me. I don't remember if that's actually what it was, (laughs) but that's how I'm remembering it. Uh, And I jumped up. And I caught the ball and he accidentally elbowed me in the face and I went down and everyone like ran and gathered around me to make sure I was okay.
0: I was so proud of myself.
1: I was like, I don't care. I caught the
0: ball. You took a hit. Yeah. <laughs> of course you were proud of that. All right, let's get into our case. Back to Lizzie Borden. So let's give a little summary of the case in case no one, uh, or if, if there's anyone out there who actually doesn't know who Lizzie Borden is. Of course, the nursery rhyme that we've all heard in the and past. And we're going to sing it for you. Are we? Oh, well, we're definitely I'm not sing. sure I know it. Brittany, I think you should sing it for me. Oh,
1: uh, we'll sing it together. We, oh. could, we have a couple different variations of how we can do it, too. We do. We could be bouncy. We could be double Dutch style with a jump rope. We could go <laughs> like slow and that dark I say. and methodical, very Halloweeny. We'll, we'll, we'll get there.
0: How does it go? I'm not. I've got the. I've got the text for you. I'm not letting you bait me into it. I know forty wax and forty one wax. So Lizzie Borden. She was born Lizzie Andrew Borden in 1860. So this is back in the time where we had uh, horse-drawn carriages. People were just going from gas lighting to electricity.
1: And this is also, 1860 is peak uh, secession for the South just before the Civil War. So a very difficult time in America.
0: And of course, these folks, the Bordens, were well-to-do in the area of Fall River, Massachusetts. Her mom actually died when she was three. And she has a sister, Emma, who's older than her. And so, Emma I think is what eight or nine years older. She's significantly older. She is. She is. So she's nine years older. She was twelve when um, Sarah Borden died. That was the mother of Lizzie and Emma, and of course, Lizzie was three. So I'm sure that was really devastating, in particular for Emma because she was old enough to really understand what was happening, or be closer to her mother and really get to know her in a way that she would miss her. I think Lizzie even occasionally will say that she doesn't remember her mother much at all. So, of course, during that time period, no wealthy man in his right mind is going to try to raise two girls. And (laughs) he, uh, Andrew Borden, remarries. And his new wife is named Abby Gray, and she's age 37. So at the time, she was considered um, an older woman and a spencer, as a matter of fact. She was a So are Lizzie and Emma, really.
1: Well, once they get to that age, yeah,
0: Yeah. for sure. Yeah, they definitely followed uh, in in those footsteps. So Lizzie, apparently she and Emma did not get along with the stepmother. I think Emma was a little more tolerant. I think Lizzie was more outspoken. And at one point, I think she was being treated by her doctor for what, at the time, uh, people would call hysteria, which (laughs) apparently is
1: PMS. Kind of. There's a there's a pretty comical movie about that. You know how they treated hysteria? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh for for listeners that aren't familiar, hysteria, which was kind of considered PMS, was treated inadvertently with what would be considered modern
0: day sex toys. Yes, so you would go to the doctor and you would get um, a release per se. No, I'm sure there are other ways that they treated this, but that sounds like the most fun
1: way in my opinion. It's You guys really have to look this up because it's pretty, it, it's actually pretty entertaining because it was at the time almost considered to be like a punishment for the women, which
0: certainly didn't work out that way. Boy, does that really speak to the way that men don't understand women? Because if they thought, at that point oh, yeah. that men women weren't enjoying it by well, the, by their actions that's we're so far that away from we sure women were allowed to enjoy sex for most women it's not accidental to enjoy sex so to no, accidentally enjoy it is really challenging so no, of
1: course you kind of have to try
0: there's, to try to enjoy it if
1: you're i'm just i'm imagining the times mid to late 19th century massachusetts Wealthy upper class community. They were a highly religious family. I kind of don't think that that community would maybe be accepting of women enjoying themselves. I almost feel like it's more of a situation of the. Women were there to bear children and to raise the family and take care of the house.
0: Yes, and evidently that's what was said about Abby Gray, uh, Lizzie, and Emma's new mother slash stepmother was that she was acceptable looking and a perfect person to be running a household. She'll do. Good enough. That's how I want to be described. That's a glowing recommendation, (laughs) by the way
1: i mean really though she was there to serve a purpose she was there to raise the girls and to take care of the house she wasn't there to be this doting loving wife i didn't get the opinion of she was there because the girls needed a mother figure so the father wouldn't have to worry about them
0: from what i understand lizzie was part of the temperance movement For those of you who don't know or aren't aware, and I would suggest you looking it up. That's how we moved into prohibition, essentially, was the women's temperate movement essentially said that by removing alcohol from the public realm, that it would minimize domestic violence.
1: And Lizzie was really involved in the community in those kinds of what I would consider probably more conservative women's organizations. But that wasn't Lizzie's personality at all. As you said, she kind of dealt with Hysteria. She was kind of felt like that she went off the rails every once in a while. She had a big personality, and I think that she felt that she was being held back by her
0: dad. Yes, exactly. The Borden family could absolutely afford to live on the hill. I'm using air quotes there because that was an area of town that was well-to-do, and you would expect them to live in that area.
1: Andrew, I mean... He was a very successful guy. He was a real estate developer. He uh, had a lot of commercial property and he was the president of two banks. He also uh, was the director of textile mills. So he had a net worth of about eight, what is present day about eight and a half million dollars at the Mm -hmm. time, about $300,000. So their house is certainly nothing to sneeze at, but it wasn't in the nice part of town per se. And that's something I think Lizzie, and maybe even Emma, to a certain extent, always resented. They felt like they
0: could live up with the Joneses, but they weren't, and they were being held back. Absolutely. This was Andrew's choice. He did not want to live in... I mean, he specifically bought a house in the area that wasn't as nice as the area that he could afford. Not only that, but they didn't have modern conveniences. They didn't have indoor plumbing when most people did. Right. So they had an indoor outhouse, per se, in the basement. And then they also had an outhouse on the outside of the house. So whenever they wanted to go to the bathroom, they literally had to go out or down. In Massachusetts, in the freezing winter, that's really challenging. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about it, again, is that they had the opportunity to have electricity. And they hadn't even gotten to gaslighting. No, there was no gas even. They were still living by
1: candlelight. They had no interest. Excuse me, Andrew had no interest, really. The girls certainly wanted to move up and beyond, but... Andrew was very steadfast in kind of his old-fashioned, his uh, very frugal ways. He was known around the community as a man with a lot of wealth, but being very frugal and cheap
0: with his money. And not well-liked, I have to say. No, he wasn't um, well-liked. He wasn't a popular guy. He apparently had a lot of um, disagreements with folks inside and outside of the house. I think there were people who had come over that, that the family had witnessed talking to Andrew in heated conversations.
1: He was the president of a bank, so it's not surprising
0: that he didn't have a lot of friends and maybe had more enemies than he did friends. I think there were some times where he was so rigid with his demands on, you know, his people and his community that they were considered to be extreme. He would kick someone out of a house if they were a few days late on a mortgage and, um, you know, above and beyond. I mean, if you live in a, a community... I'm not saying that you have to be really flexible or you know give the farm away, but at the same time, there is something to be said for making sure the community as a whole is supported. In 1889, they are joined by Bridget Sullivan, who was also called Maggie, uh, and apparently she was called that because the previous maid was called Maggie, and it's too much to remember someone's just, new name.
1: I love that so much. i, don't know. I mean... It's such an inconvenience to learn someone else's name that you're just going to call them by the name of the previous
0: person that had that job. You know, it it speaks to what they thought of her, which is just sort of this turnkey, you know, not an individual, but just fulfilling a role.
1: I know, but I just, I think that's hilarious. It's really unfortunate for Bridget. She's going to end up playing a major role in this, and I actually find her one of the more fascinating people in this story. It's so unfortunate. You're right. She was just, she was treated... Very much as a second-class citizen, as a live-in help, the live-in maid, she was not considered equal. At the same time, I got the impression that Emma and Lizzie still were pretty fond of her. They were fond of her in a way of, it wasn't, she wasn't an equal, as long as she knew her place was below Lizzie and Emma, then they were okay to get along, but she was never allowed to forget where she stood in the pecking order.
0: Around 1891, June ish, apparently there's a daytime robbery and there's cash and jewelry stolen out of the Borden home. I think there's some conversation about that potentially being Lizzie. Right. I'm assuming that Lizzie and Emma probably still getting an allowance from their father if they weren't working. Probably. So that means they were completely beholden to him. And so after this daytime robbery, which, again, it's assumed that it may have been Lizzie, she apparently had some other shoplifting issues and was so well known for it that the different shop owners would actually figure out what she stole or write it down and then send the bill to Andrew when he would pay it. So I'm assuming if he's paying it, he is there's, there's you know, some culpability there. He's understanding it's actually happening or he's not being extorted. So he's, they're taking responsibility for it and they're just dealing with it. I think this speaks to Lizzie's inability to handle the conversation because if I was her father and I was paying her bills for the things that she was stealing, I would have probably had a conversation with her and said, what is going on? Why are you stealing things? But
1: I also kind of got the opinion
0: that she batted her eyelashes at her dad
1: and he had the money, so he just kind of took care of it. But at the same time, he wasn't really interested in disciplining her or taking care of the situation or really trying to instill
0: the proper values in her. It was easy enough just to pay off the, the retailers. Well, I think that ship had sailed. She's 30-something years right. old. I mean, at some point, you just stop fighting it. Yes, exactly. You know? I mean, and I'm assuming that, you know, he was may have been embarrassed by that as well. I I'm mean, sure he probably That was, was definitely an issue for him because of his status. So, after this daytime robbery happens in 1891, the house goes on, on lockdown. Essentially, they keep all the doors locked inside now from now on. So, the day before, moving into um, 1892, is where we start really, you know, the real time frame where we have our issues. It appears that Lizzie and Emma had issues with their parents, the stepmother and Andrew, and that sort of culminated in them moving out and moving into a boarding house for a little while. Not sure what happened there. Not a lot of documentation on what happened when they were at the boarding house, but they came back from the, yeah, the boarding house. Yeah,
1: they did. And it wasn't uncommon for them to go. They went to New Bedford, which is also Massachusetts, and they would take what they referred to as extended vacations to the boarding house. So this wasn't a new thing. It wasn't a frequent habit either. They very much lived at home when they wanted an escape. They went, they took these extended vacations, but they always came back home afterwards. However, what's particularly interesting, Emma came home first and Lizzie came back to town, but she stayed down the street. She actually didn't come home home until four nights before the murders. And where did she stay down the street? Uh, she stayed at what's referred to just as a rooming, a local rooming house.
0: Well, that's so weird that she would stay in, like, a house down the street that she didn't live in. Like, I how, agree. I mean, that just sort of speaks to how much she really must have disliked living with her parents. Well, she had major issues with them, particularly dating
1: back about five years. She actually even said that she hadn't really had a real conversation with Abby or her stepmother in about five years because uh, there were major issues with the finances. As, we, as Sonia mentioned, we, uh, the girls kind of wanted to break out on their own to a certain extent. They wanted money, but they were living on a very limited allowance, per se. And I think they may have had this expectation of, my dad has money, it should be coming my way, but it wasn't. But at the same time, he was buying homes for Abby's family.
0: Yeah, I think that was a disagreement with the girls and may have led to this disagreement that caused them to move out, even though it's not documented exactly what that family disagreement was, but to get someone to move out of their house or to get two people to move out of the house, it must have been something significant. And I, in my opinion, it was likely about money. Uh, I think that was sort of this culmination. I think that what I understand, uh, Andrew had given a house to Abby's sister Yes, and I believe that right. really upset Lizzie and Emma to the point where they demanded to have their own house. And so he gave them a house, but he gave them in a house again in a not so nice neighborhood. Right. So it was certainly not the home of their dreams. It was more of a rental property. Officially he did give it to them or
1: sold it to them for one dollar. And it was the it was actually the home that they lived in when Sarah, the birth mother, passed away. So when the girls were very young, it was this home, and it was the home that stayed within the family, which was not in a gray area. So essentially, Andrew was like, here, you can take this old, I don't want to say it's dilapidated, but certainly not well-kept place.
0: Well, it wasn't their end game because their end game was to be on the hill. Absolutely. They wanted to yeah, be with the, the highfalutin folks, and they, they felt wanted like to they move up go. to that deluxe apartment in the sky. Like I said, I find it interesting that Andrew, Andrew didn't want to be a part of that, and so that tells me that he must have not been um, interested in revolving in those circles. If, I don't think he was. Yeah,
1: he was very social in the church community, but social insofar as he essentially would congregate with other people that were within the conservative christian community he wasn't interested in going into the party scene and i think the hill was kind of known for being the highfalutin party area the big crazy shindigs that everyone dressed to the nines for that wasn't
0: his scene and he didn't want to be part of that exactly Back to um, you know our timeline. August second, they're both back in the house. Yes, yeah, they're both back. For August so 2nd. we're really only talking about nine, ten days at the most. On August second, it appears that Andy, Abby, and Andrew woke up with stomach aches again, concerned because they felt that they may have been poisoned. They had mutton, and apparently they had mutton over a number of days, and um, on occasion they would get food poisoning.
1: Well, and there was no electricity. The mutton wasn't kept in an icebox. It was kept on top of the stove for all sorts of bacteria, bugs, gnats. You can imagine how disgusting that would be. Even contemplating eating that in today's day and age. So it's, to your point, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that gave, got them sick after three or four days of eating the same what would I would anticipate be
0: rancid food constantly. And if you've ever been, you know, sick with food poisoning, it's something you want to avoid. Oh, always! You know. No, no, no! And it's it, terrible. I'd, I'd pay some money to have some electricity so I could make sure my food was preserved correctly, and I wouldn't get sick again. I'll do anything had, to had never have meals.
1: That. They had enough money; they didn't have to keep recycling the same meals
0: over and over and over. Well, think about this: if they didn't have electricity, how? And they didn't have gas. Mm-hmm. How did they cook? Were they? It was a wood-burning stove. Or coal, yes. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it was a coal stove. But either coal or wood, either way, it's yeah, huh? Yeah. Either way, it's probably not even cooking it correctly. Probably not. So on August second, you know, Abby and Andrew both wake up complaining of st- stomach sickness. It sounds like the um, that Maggie also was sick because she pretty much vomited for the next few days. Um, there are a couple times where it's reported that she's going out while she's shopping and vomiting which is really strange. And it sounds to me like Abby had gone to doc- to visit Dr. Bowen, their um, family doctor, and she suggests to the doctor that they had been poisoned.
1: After their deaths, during the autopsies, their stomachs were removed and checked for poison. Nothing was found.
0: August 3rd, John Morse, who is, uh, he, he comes to stay at the home, and I'm a little unclear, is John Morse Lizzie's, and at Lizzie and Emma's uncle, yes. So their mother's brother. brother. That's correct.
1: Yes. So the uh, in-law, brother-in-law of Andrew, and he—he he was. I frequent at the Borden home. He was close with the family, and I think he had business with Andrew. So it wasn't uncommon for him to be there. I don't think he and Andrew necessarily got along all that well because, as we mentioned, Andrew was probably kind of a shrill businessman or shrewd businessman, I should probably say. But he was
0: family. It wasn't uncommon for him to visit the Borden home. At the same time, Lizzie's visiting some of her neighbors. Uh, Alice Russell is one of them. And Lizzie's smart because she tells Alice that she's afraid for her father and her stepfather's lies because she fears that they have enemies and that someone... Someone will do something is exactly what she says. The next morning, August fourth is the day of the crime. I feel like this is all, probably one of the only areas in the case that we know the facts because oh, everything yeah. else seems to be all over the place. Either what happened because it was you know not communicated correctly to the police, or with Lizzie's testimony and a variety of other t- others testimonies, there were so many inconsistencies. Mm-hmm.
1: Lizzie could not keep her story straight to a certain extent that it was suggested that maybe she went into a fugue state, whether she did it and she was in a fugue state when she committed the murders or right afterwards, after she found her father's body, that she was so disturbed, she essentially became despondent and couldn't keep track of things. Therefore, being
0: justification for her inconsistent stories. Let's go back to August 4th. Let's go back to the morning. Um, we know that Abby was killed, or we are told Abby was mm-hmm. killed around 9 a.m. upstairs in the guest bedroom. We are also told that Andrew was killed around 11 a.m. Correct. after he comes back from going out and runs running errands. So I think a really interesting piece of this is that we've got, like you said, a lot of people coming and going from the house. We've got Bridget at the house. We've got John Morse at the house. At 7 a.m., Abby, Andrew, John Morse are having breakfast. Maggie's there. She's probably serving it to them. Afterwards, Morse and Andrew go to the sitting room. Abby begins her house cleaning chores. So she's cleaning the house. Both Bridget and Abby went to clean various portions of the house, particularly
1: when we get to the actual murder of Abby. She was in the guest bedroom, which is where John was staying. Both Emma and Lizzie had household chores that they had to do every single day. But one of their chores was to clean the guest bedroom. So I found it very interesting that it was actually Abby that was cleaning that room when she was murdered. That was not her quote-unquote job to do. That was for the girls to take care of.
0: Well, I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, again... I'm assuming that part of this is them earning their allowance or whatever form of payment they got from their father. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the folks at the house. Um, You know, again, we've got Abby at the house, Andrew at the house, John Morse at the house, uh, Bridget at the house, as well as Lizzie. Where was Emma? Emma's out. Emma, I think, had gone to visit a friend. And did she leave that morning or was she gone the night before as well? I think she was gone the night before. So she wasn't at the house at all.
1: Uh, that's my understanding. But I agree with you. It's a hazy area.
0: But so when does Emma actually come back? Because obviously she comes back before their funeral. Yeah, she comes back before the funeral. The The timeline that I
1: found, and this might be based on fiction, but it's pretty much instantaneously. As soon as it gets out that they're dead and the police start surrounding the house and coming to investigate, Emma popped back up.
0: She was there to console Lizzie, who had found her father. You mean, like, hours or days? No, like, hours. So, Emma walks in a couple of hours later. Knowing that they're dead. Knowing that she they're dead. Heard the news. Consoling her sister, Lizzie. Correct. Do you think it's a little convenient that she comes back in a couple hours after they're murdered? Yeah, I think it's super convenient. So, here's... So, okay. Got it. So, Lizzie's there in the house. Emma... It, I assume that somebody confirmed that Emma was wherever she said she was. I would hope so. The only
1: only reason that I think that is because I watched the Lifetime movie with Christina Ricci, which I actually thought was really good, called Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. Uh, it's pretty entertaining. But at the, in that movie, Emma had gone, and had been gone for a day or two before the murders. And so she wasn't around. Which... That in itself isn't so perplexing. It's her actions afterwards that I find to be more perplexing.
0: Again, let's go back to the house. Let's talk about our timeline, which is 9 a.m. when the first murder is supposedly occurring. A few minutes after 9, Andrew leaves the house. So right around the time is where they assume that Abby was murdered upstairs in the guest bedroom. Correct. Now, the upstairs, or the, the house in general, had a really interesting layout. And it was essentially you walk into the lower floor, you enter a room and then to get, through to the next room you have to walk through that door so every room to get to the next one you had to walk through a room
1: there were no hallways because andrew felt that they were wasted space and this
0: is a pretty big house and it's a my, decent size yeah yeah and it's still there which oh, i find sure. really interesting if you want to go tour lizzie borden's house uh, you can stay at it as a bed and breakfast yes that is on my list of places to visit and there's supposedly a male ghost which i find really I interesting i if I was Abby, I, I mean, I think there should be a female ghost because in my opinion, Abby was really the victim in this whole thing. I mean, Andrew wasn't such a nice guy. There's conversations about the things he may or may not have done to, you know, his daughters. But poor Abby, you know, she's just there trying to take care of his kids. Right. And, I mean, crazy. But the,
1: the thing about Abby also, and you'll, I think you'll probably agree with this, same as what I was just saying about Emma. In my research, I didn't see a whole lot about her. She was there to be subservient. She didn't seem to have really an identity of her own. She was kind of, as I mentioned, I think, earlier, more just like a live-in maid who happened to be married to Andrew and raise the girls.
0: Well, I think that if you look if from Abby's family's perspective, they consider themselves pretty lucky that Abby married anyone. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> the match between Andrew and Abby was a match made in heaven because they really both needed each other. Abby needed to be married to someone, and Andrew needed someone to care for his children. And I wouldn't um, be surprised if, the, if Abby's family got a dowry of some sort. Abby's family was very well-to-do. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was really a meeting of the you know yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the minds and the family for bringing sure. this this the relationship together that could even be sort of construed as a business relationship. I was going to say
1: almost like an arranged
0: social based on social class. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So perfect for each other. So, you know, a little more about the house we've got, you know, the downstairs, you walk into the front entry, there's a parlor through the, the front entry. You can also enter into the sitting room and the sitting room again is where John Morse and Andrew would have been sitting um, before breakfast and before Andrew left. And then later, this is the same room that they find Andrew uh, murdered with severe axe wounds or hatchet wounds per se.
1: Right. Yeah. They, it's disturbing. There are some pictures online. You need to. You can't have a weak stomach if you're going to look at them. But they are really interesting to look at. It's it's horrific. It really is. Oh, sure. But it's also extremely well contained, considering the time. I can't believe how little what seemingly blood splatter there is uh-huh. and there's no blood or residue it really traces throughout the house it's contained in very
0: small areas at the very specific crime scenes where they took place absolutely i think that's what's really you know interesting about it is that you know as we move through this and we talk about abby and and her being murdered at 9 a.m which is the um of the supposed time, or right. I'm assuming around there, because we know Andrew left at 9 and he saw her. That's correct. So she, he, she was obviously murdered before he got back at 11.
1: Right, and based on the limited forensics that they had at the time, that's the estimation that police came up with based on the state of her rigor mortis when she was found around 11.15 a.m.
0: So Abby goes up to the the second floor of the home. She's continuing her house cleaning. Bridget Sullivan is outdoors, and she's supposedly cleaning the windows. And if, from what I understand, Abby is either outside in the barn or she is wandering around the house as well. And um, she said that she was out looking in the barn for some lead sinkers to go fishing with her father because that was a pastime that they you enjoyed together. Yes, Lizzie. Yeah,
1: you said Abby. Okay, Sorry, got it, got Lizzie. it. Yeah, so Lizzie.
0: A couple things spatially to to make everybody familiar with is, um, again, we've got the house. It's two stories. You've got um, a front landing or a front um, entry up a stairwell, and you've got a rear stairwell as well. Now, again, we've said that to enter through one room, through, through the back room or to the front room, you had to walk through the other rooms to get there. It's the same for the, the upstairs as it is for the downstairs. There was one, one door that actually connected Andrew and Abby's bedroom, which was in the, on the second floor in the back of the house. And the, there was one door that connected that to the other bedrooms. Um, that would have been Lizzie's bedroom, Emma's bedroom, and then the front guest room. guest room is closest to the uh, front landing. I suggest you look at the floor plans online because there's a lot of information out there. And it's really clear when you see this, how the house was actually broken up. It was because this door was apparently nailed shut between Mm -hmm. Andrew and Abby's bedroom and the rest of the upstairs, which rightly so if it was, you know, suggested that Lizzie was stealing things and they wanted some distance between their Daughters, um, their adult daughters, if they were trying to have a personal life, I could understand why they would do that. But I find that really interesting that they actually nailed that door shut. Because, to be honest, if there would have been a fire in that house and the downstairs, um, you know, stairway wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to evacuate, and that door was nailed shut, they would have been able to get out of the house. No, they, they would have literally burned to death they, in the house.
1: Well, quite literally, yeah, because I mean, Emma's Emma's bedroom is landlocked if you will yes there's no exit for her whatsoever if she has to go from her bedroom into lizzie's bedroom into the guest room then out to the landing lizzie has the direct exit directly out to the landing
0: exactly but
1: it's it's difficult and of course uh, andrew and abby have the opposite landing on the other side of the house that walks
0: directly into their room so they would so so remember everyone as we're thinking about this Andrew and Abby would have had to enter their bedroom from the rear stairwell. They could have never gotten through to their bedroom from the the front stairwell. And it was the same. The reverse was the same for Lizzie and Emma. They always had to use the front stairwell to get to their bedrooms.
1: It was almost like separate living quarters. Yes. While, granted, spatially, they were right next to each other. They had to have completely separate entrances.
0: We do know that Bridget's room that she slept in and where she was at for a portion of the morning was actually on the third floor in the attic. I am not sure which stairwell she would have had to use to get to her own bedroom, whether it would have been the front or the back.
1: I'm pretty sure it's the front stairwell because I think I I saw that her bedroom was directly above the guest room.
0: Got it. So again, as it's suggested, Abby is killed around 9 a.m., she is killed by 19 hatchet blows to the back of the head. Now, when you look at the pictures online, as we've said, they're gruesome. A hatchet, this ha- the hatchet that was used, and I think that they found a hatchet at the house. I'm not sure if anybody ever figured out if it was the hatchet, but I, I don't know how many hatchets you have laying around. Well, they had a few, actually. They had at least two. And that's not surprising considering they had no electricity or gas, which right. means they were cutting up wood to put in their stove.
1: Definitely. So the one of the hatches that they found, the axe handle was broken off. And it was suggested that it was actually staged that way because there was sawdust, some other particles that were... Abnormally thrown about in the area to almost set the stage that it hadn't been touched in a while and it essentially was decaying, but it obviously was not that way.
0: It's hard to break an axe or, a, or a, and I'm oh, not even I sure th- the difference between an axe and a hatchet, but I it's hard to break small. It's it's hard to break the handle on either one of those. Yeah, oh, for sure. But at the severity at which both of these people were hit, uh, maybe, but. I don't know if Abby or Lizzie would have been strong enough to do that.
1: I'm not sure.
0: But a hatchet in and of itself is heavy.
1: I will say that. It's super heavy. Then they also found something else that the blade had hair and blood on it, but that was determined. And I don't know what level of forensic science that they're using back in the 1890s, but that was determined to be animal blood and hair. I don't know how they determined that, but that at the time was considered what would we would
0: know as the smoking gun. Ended up being a false alarm. It was a red herring. It didn't lead anywhere. So, Not only that, but I don't even think anybody still... They, no one knows where that hatchet or what where that evidence actually went. Yeah. Right. It doesn't exist anymore. It was a very, very poorly contained crime scene. Yeah. And... In- I think some of that can be chalked up to, you know, their status, you know, they had money Yeah, and a lot of back in the day, you know, you could say to the police, uh, no, I'm sorry, you're not allowed in the house. Or you could, but depending on your status, you could run um, and make suggestions to the police that likely today wouldn't be allowed.
1: And they were very well-to-do about-town people, even though they weren't the popular people, they didn't have all the friends in the world. They were well-known in the community. They were highly respected in the church. Lizzie was a Sunday school teacher for children of immigrants, So that was actually considered to be a pretty admirable job for her. She was dealing with a lot of children that didn't speak English. She was dealing, uh, she was, of course, sacrificing her Sundays. In the 1890s, I think it was viewed that Lizzie was doing God's work in
0: certain circles. Sure. I'm sure that she was perceived as that. And and she likely was, you know. It's hard to tell. You hear so many different, you know, reports about Lizzie, you know, because... I don't hold it against a woman who is, you know, independent and who right. you know, makes it known her, her wishes, you know, but back in the day, someone could have likely judged her for that. So again, we talk about Abby Borden. She's killed in the guest room, uh, as she's cleaning 19 hatchet blows to the back of the head. One hatchet blow would kill you. 19 is an act of rage.
1: Oh, yeah. This isn't an attempt to murder. This is an attempt to embarrass, to punish.
0: To brutalize. To
1: brutalize, yeah. And, and what I actually found the most fascinating, Abby was found face down in a pool of her own blood. But the first hatchet hit was to the side of her head. I think it was behind her ear. Well, she was facing forward, she was looking at her murderer. So the first blow actually hit her so hard
0: it spun her around and then she fell to the ground. So are you saying that she got dealt that blow while she was looking at them or she would turn around and look at them after they hit her?
1: No, no, no. She was dealt that blow while she was looking at them.
0: So this is where I have concerns about this crime scene and where I veer to Lizzie as the suspect. And the reason I do so is because If Abby would have been killed by someone she didn't know, she would have likely screamed out. But it appears to me that this was a person that she probably knew. Now, I'm not, I am also surprised she didn't scream out, but it might've happened so fast that she, you know, again, one blow and she's unconscious or dead.
1: That's kind of how I took it. It was more or less, she was, she was in the guest room cleaning. Remember doing Lizzie and Emma's job for them because that was their chore they were supposed to be doing. Lizzie or whoever came into the room whether intentionally or unintentionally, got Abby's attention. Abby turned around to see who it was. Maybe she recognized that it was Lizzie, so didn't think too much of it. And then the person took the hatchet and swung and hit her square in the head. And then the momentum of that spun Abby around and she fell
0: uh, flat on the floor. So to me, this is one of those, again, those moments where I say, hmm, I'm not sure... If whoever whoever did this to Abby, it's likely that she knew them. Oh, the sure, other sure. thing I just want to talk about from a from a spatial standpoint is that you know we we hear about it, Lizzie saying that she was out in the barn. I, in my head, I naturally go to the barn that's in the field that's got some distance between the house. That barn was in the backyard of I the think house. It more like a shed. It it's a well. It was a two story barn. Okay, it was big. And it was no more than 30 feet out the back door. Well,
1: right. That's what I mean. It, it was not it was like you said. It
0: wasn't on the farm three acres away. No. It, it it was right there. So if Lizzie would have been in the barn and Abby would have screamed or whatever, it's likely that Lizzie would have heard her. I'm even surprised that Bridget didn't hear her. Yeah. If she would have yelled at all and again she it must have you know knocked Bridget, her out almost immediately. I think I agree Bridget probably would have heard her, but Bridget was outside cleaning the windows I believe at the time that Abby was murdered. That's probably true, but if they're in August in Massachusetts that with no AC some of those windows would have been open. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, with, yeah, the, no. with the old house with wood floors, no everything doubt. creaks. How in the world did somebody not hear something going right. on? This is where I start to think about Lizzie and Bridget potentially working together. Very possible. Because for neither one of them to hear anything, and if it was Lizzie, again, I feel like Bridget would have heard something.
1: I think so, too. I think that either Bridget was too scared to say something in the end, or was she involved with it also?
0: Well, it's entirely possible that she might have benefited from it. It's very possible. Back to Abby Borden killed in the guest room with 19 hatchet blows to her head, severely brutalized. Again, one blow would have done the trick. And this is where we start thinking about who would have had motive to, to do that kind of damage to Abby. Andrew Borden might've had enemies. Fine. Fine because he deserved it, fine.
1: Well, why Abby?
0: Why Abby? There's, what what yeah, did she do? Nobody's she, walking in that house to kill Andrew and then going to go on their way to kill Abby no. first.
1: Well, so nobody's killing her first. Well, it was very strategic why she was killed first. Because the way that it was written in Andrew's will, Andrew and Abby's will, that depending on who died first, even if it was back-to-back the way that it was, if Andrew died first, then... Their estate went to Abby's family. If Abby died first, the estate went to Andrew's family.
0: But they ended up paying Abby's family their part.
1: They ended up paying them off, but there was motive for her to die first.
0: At around 11, Andrew Borden returns home. When Andrew got
1: home, there were three locks on the door and his key would not open the door, which is really strange. Hmm. And he was getting really frustrated by it, so he was trying to unlock the door, his key didn't work, he then started pounding on the door. At this point, Bridget was back inside the house, Bridget came to the door, and she herself couldn't get it open. And she said something along the lines of like, Pshht! or something like, just made a, a frustrating noise, which apparently at the time, which I think is hilarious, was considered vulgar. And certainly unbecoming of a housemaid. And a
0: lady. Of
1: a lady. And I guess Lizzie supposedly, this is all according to Bridget's testimony. Lizzie was on the upstairs landing, which at the time is right outside the guest bedroom, so certainly within eye shot of Abby's body. Lizzie started laughing. Lizzie started
0: laughing
1: after she heard heard the
0: vulgarity come from Bridget. So Lizzie's standing there up on the landing, and if, if, within full view, yes, of her, if her mother was or her stepmother was killed at 9 a.m., would have been laying there for two hours. Yep, it would have been apparent that she was laying on the floor because you could see her feet from the door. <laughs> yeah, you definitely could. And then Lizzie's laughing either. At Bridget for making a vulgar noise or for another reason, yeah, whatever
1: that may be. Exactly.
0: Now, Lizzie's
1: testimony would say that she was on the first floor, but
0: Bridget testified that she was only upstairs landing. Which makes sense because Bridget notes that she heard, hears laughter. Right. So Lizzie comes downstairs. She comes down to visit her father in the dining room um, and that... She told him for some reason that Abby had received a message from someone and um, Abby had left the house, yeah. even yeah. though Abby was upstairs dead. Well, yeah, more or less,
1: she essentially was said that Abby received a telegram of a sick friend and Abby left in haste to go tend to the bedside of this sick friend. Abby didn't have any friends. Her friends were Andrew's friends which were really business partners and people from church. She did not have her own friends. No one would have come to her calling, asking for help. It was speculated that maybe if she had one friend that was
0: unique to her, that would have been a lot. Huh. So it's interesting that Andrew would believe that, number one. And it's interesting that Lizzie would lie about Abby leaving. It's really, I find it, yes, more interesting that Lizzie would lie. I
1: feel like Andrew the impression that i got was that was kind of so below him he didn't really care he had just come back from doing whatever it was he was out doing it was of no consequence to him abby would be back on her own time
0: so andrew's back it's 11 a.m lizzie's talking to him he goes and sits on the settee in the sitting room Um, for what I understand, Lizzie props his head up and takes his shoes off and gets him comfy. Which is so weird. Probably had a long morning. Who knows? Is it clear where John Morse is at this point? John left shortly after breakfast. Bridget
1: served them breakfast. At this point, four or five day old mutton and mutton broth, which...
0: But John Morse did not get sick.
1: Well, we don't know if he got sick. Because remember, he just came in the night before... Their sickness had begun began a couple days before that, so and they're still eating the same freaking. Oh no, no I totally agree totally... with. My God! Like if I, I'd stop eating anything of if course I was you sick. Would of course he would. But what I'm <sighs> saying is, I am wondering if maybe John got sick after the fact, and that just wasn't reported. But he hadn't eaten the tainted food yet, and that they had continued to eat.
0: Got it. Okay. So, and it's, I do think it's also interesting that you don't hear much about John after that. I mean, he's not really involved. He's he doesn't come really... back into the conversation. It, they don't, I don't even know if they talk to him about what he saw before he left. I don't, yeah. I don't, was he well to do? I'm sorry? Was he well to do? Well, I,
1: I think he was decently well off. Well. Mm. I didn't take it as he was struggling by any means.
0: Yeah, got it. All right. So, Andrew comes in, talks to Lizzie. She makes him comfy, puts his feet up so weird. Um, I know. And then apparently... Uh, he falls asleep. He takes a nap. Yeah. Bridget go, goes up to her attic room, so that's pretty much leaving Andrew and Lizzie by themselves. Right.
1: Bridget... He he falls asleep. Bridget was I'm talking about being sick. This poor girl. Like, seriously. <laughs> she woke up. She made breakfast for this family who would not really allow her to eat with them. Then she's... Thank sp- God. She was sick, too. Well, she was sick. She was sick. She still ate it. She just wasn't allowed to eat with them.
0: Oh, great.
1: But then she was told to go clean for the next three hours. And as we talked about, it was a hot August day inside, no air conditioning. She was in and outside cleaning the windows. She said she had a blistering headache that would not go away. And
0: then she got really nauseated and even vomited at one point. Multiple times. She vomits multiple times. Okay, She's yeah, walking around vomiting, poor yes. thing. So she goes down up into her she goes into her attic room, Andrew Borden lays down, he goes to sleep. So he walks in the door at eleven AM. At eleven fifteen, which is fifteen minutes later, the police are notified about the murders. But I know that's a fifteen minute window. So at that same time Andrew's falling asleep. Lizzie's going outside to look for the lead sinkers that she's going to fish with, and Bridget's going up into the attic. Yep. No more than 15 minutes later, they're notified of Andrew's murder. Um, Lizzie essentially calls in, um, notifies Bridget that her father's been murdered. She
1: she screams, Maggie, Maggie, come
0: quick! Father's dead! He's been killed! All all of this happens in a very short period of time. and He had... 12, 8, how many? 11. 11. 11. He's hit 11 times.
1: Half of his face is completely gone. Yeah. And including his one eye literally split in half. Yep. And the half of his face caved in, completely
0: disappearing. So instead of our 40 and 41 wax, yeah, we're really talking about...
1: 19 and 11. It was like 30 total. Still we're a lot. Doing that. Oh, still a lot. Well, and... Don't get me wrong, the 19 wax to Abby is awful, but this—what the pictures of Andrew are
0: just, they are so disturbing. Well, also when you look at his skull, because what they did is they 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 went through a series of events. First, it's notified about Andrew. Then they obviously, crazy enough, it takes a while for them to think about going upstairs and looking for A, um, the murderer, or B, Abby. But they it to the police and the police don't show for quite a while. So you've got a lot of people coming into the house. You've got the Churchill woman. I think the Russell friend comes over. Yes. Now people are congregating you in got, the house. Yeah. You've got neighbors. You've got family friends. Prior, and- prior to the police getting mm-hmm. there. No, I again, I suggest if you have the stomach for it, look at these photos because, yeah. I wouldn't be in that house no. with not just one dead body, but they don't know about the one upstairs yet, but the one was enough. His half oh, of his head was gone. It was gone. And, the, uh, and the his shoes, shoes were, were on. Well, they say that his shoes were actually off, but they put the shoes... Lizzie had actually asked them to put the shoes on because they wanted him to be respectable. <gasps> to be showed, because he actually didn't have that jacket on either. He had oh. a, He had a more... You know, informal jacket casual. on, right. and she had them also put the the other jacket on because they wanted they. It was a respectful thing to do. Wow, I mean, of all the things to be going through your mind at that
1: point before you're taking crime scene photos, your father's head is caved in, it's halfway missing,
0: and you are concerned about his shoes and jacket. Where's the murderer? I'm. Oh, if they didn't, sure. if uh, that's what the most perplexing part of this to me is, you've got a person who has got nineteen. You know, hatchet wounds 11, to the head. 11. No, no, her, oh, her. her yes yeah, upstairs, yeah, which they yeah. haven't even looked for yet. No, they don't even know she's dead yet. Yeah, there's a their body field. upstairs that they don't know about. Andrew's downstairs. He's half of his head is gone. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting, if you look at those crime scene photos, it's not a bloody mess. No. no, to do that kind of damage to someone's head, it almost looked to me like he was dead before he got the hatchet wounds because then there wouldn't be as much blood. But no, that's it just true. doesn't appear. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever had a head wound, but it bleeds significantly. This is a 15-minute window when he was murdered. He was hit 11 times, which is a lot. There's not really any blood anywhere in the house. There's not even blood splashed up on the wall or on the sofa. Exactly. That's the part that blows my mind
1: so much is there's no blood splatter, period. Very little. But at the same time, as you were saying before, the ability to wield an axe or a hatchet Takes a lot of effort. Yeah. And the time in between one to the other, it's not instantaneous, especially depending on. I almost feel like he would have had to have been hit in the head first, because otherwise he wouldn't have died instantly, and he may have been able to put up a fight, or at least move around, so that way you would have seen more splatter or drips of blood going somewhere else.
0: Yeah, something happened there. It just doesn't. It's just too convenient that there's not enough information or crime scene mm-hmm. um, debris. I mean, there it just feels like there's missing blood. You know, there's no... I mean... I know. Man, you know, it's it's it seemed like there would have been a lot more. I mean, it's a very small window of time, too. So I don't know how relevant my theory is when I say maybe he was killed before he was hatcheted. Because you're still talking about a 15-minute window, and it would take a little time for the blood to stop pumping.
1: And that's a theory I hadn't thought about before as far as... He died before the hatchet shot to the head, but I just don't see how that's possible. It's an interesting thought, but I don't see how it's feasible.
0: I agree, but I also don't see how it's feasible that there's not a lot of blood.
1: No, I agree. Not
0: even in Abby's case, there's not a lot of blood. No,
1: there's not. I mean, there's kind of like a pool around where she's at, but
0: white linens on the bed were pretty much, they were untouched. Well, even her dress, the top of her dress was a lighter color, and it was not blood-soaked at all. It's so weird. It is weird. It's very strange. Um, One thing I thought was really interesting about Abby and where they found her was that they found her on the floor, face down, you know, just her, her head just pretty much squashed. But they found her... What, hair clip, I guess back in the day you would clip extra hair to your hair head to make it look longer or something. But the thing that she would have always worn in her, in her hair was actually found on the bed. Really? So yes. Like what was it like hair extensions? Yeah. Okay. Something like that. But uh-huh. it was like a little extra piece of hair with a sure. clip on it and you would have clipped it like yeah, 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 probably to it. make your bun of your hair right. look bigger or whatever. Yeah, But I that, that she would have normally been wearing that. They found it on the bed. So, if she was murdered, and and I think that there was some blood found on that, but how would she have put it on there? How would she have put it on the bed? Huh. Yeah. So, I think that was really really strange.
1: strange. Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're talking about the lack of blood splatter, and if there's blood splatter that got on there, that makes sense.
0: Well, it would have been on her head, which was getting hatcheted. No,
1: I'm saying, but if, if, so let's say, in the act of pulling the hatchet back, blood splattered onto
0: that hair extension that was sitting on the bed. Or the hatchet caught it and threw it on the bed. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, again, yeah, yeah, you know, that, you're, the, uh, you, in, in hatchet- talking- hatcheting world, <laughs> right, this would have been erratic movements. Okay, yeah, like, no, This no matter- is not controlled. And you're also talking about Lizzie Borden, who's not very big. No, so I doubt there. she would have had a lot of upper body strength. She wasn't a small woman. She wasn't petite, though, either. Yeah, but you still have to be
1: fairly strong. You do. I mean, that... Which I have to say I don't really necessarily believe it, but I do kind of think that there's something to be said about like the fugue state that is suggested that she went into, because you almost have to go into a certain sort of psychosis and out of body experience to do that to be so violent and to have the physical ability to do that. Now I don't I don't really buy into that because that's assuming that it continued over the course of two hours and that's i just don't
0: think that's how that happens i don't either i think it was way more calculated than that i, I do think too lizzie but- had this plan she had motive because she wanted to inherit her family's mm-hmm. money uh, it was the only way for her and her sister to get clear of her father to get what they want right um you know which they ultimately did but we'll get to that a little bit later we've got a lot of people coming over to the house now family friends the police um, you know, everybody's traipsing around the house, figuring it out. At some point, they realize maybe somebody should go upstairs to check and see if anyone is upstairs, like Abby or maybe the murderer. <laughs> so the family friend and I think Bridget go upstairs uh, to yeah, look. Yeah, Bridget went upstairs also. I'm yep. sorry, but I don't, again, th- this took a, a long period of time. Like, I would have spent zero time in that house, and then I definitely would have decided to go upstairs and look to see... You know, I mean, what do what? You know, how, I mean, there are better people to do that than me, i.e. the police. Uh, for sure the police would. And it, I think it was presented in such a way of,
1: oh, maybe Abby got back from visiting her friend and she came in the back way. Come on.
0: Yeah, except the, the back way would have taken her to her bedroom and no, she wasn't and it, that, found that, in that, her bedroom. that's kind of what
1: I'm saying. It's not, it's not logical. No. At all. So...
0: No. Well not to mention if Lizzie was up there at the landing she would have seen her feet. Oh, right. so and there's some obvious issues that I think most people have and which is why they probably thought she was guilty of this. And you know, I again, you know, you're only as good as your attorneys and and I think Lizzie's attorneys are really good. You know, it's all about the argument. It's not about what actually happened. You know, if you can argue enough you know of reasonable doubt then you can definitely as we've seen many 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 times over you will not be found guilty regardless of whether you are or not
1: and lizzie knew how to put on a show she was good at it
0: yeah once
1: i I think that she had an arrogance about her but once she was indicted she knew how to turn it on
0: all righty scarlettos we are at a great stopping point uh, a couple of shout-outs I want to give to our friends who've helped us out with some of our uh, marketing tools. We've got John McGrew, who we give a big shout-out to for writing our theme song, which is fantastic. An awesome guys-
1: opening and
0: sort of an ending theme song. That's amazing. John, uh, thank you so much for, for you know helping us out there. We really appreciate it. You totally got the spirit of what we were trying to to get at. I also want to give a shout out to Juan Mesa Leon, who created our logo for us. Uh, we really appreciate it. I think that you really got a good handle on what we were trying to achieve visually. So thank you so much for you guys supporting us and this. Lizzie Borden had an axe. She gave her mother 40 whacks. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father.